And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. You totaled it. <laughs> you like that one, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's good. It reminds me of you because it's the weirdest part. It's not, It's like not the funniest part at all in that movie, but... Uh... But I laugh. <laughs> yeah, you laugh quite a bit. Bang! <laughs> Except you'd be here at 7.30, too. Yeah. That kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, man, that movie's so good. Thank oh, you yeah. for humoring me with Fargo. I know that was your choice, but I know that I pleaded my case for it, and I appreciate you uh, humoring me to do Fargo. I love that movie so much. Oh, me too. Each time I watch it, if anything, our podcast, uh, it made me love it more just because it's it's such a brilliant film. And so after that, I I, I promptly got on to a, a Coen Brothers kick. So I watched Hail Caesar on Netflix and then I watched Inside Lewin Davis, not back to back, but uh, Inside Lewin Davis is incredible. And I know you're not a music man, but it's not it's not like a musical. They it's a toned down. Oh, brother, where art thou? A very melancholy film, but uh, it's a fantastic character study. And excuse me, your, your your buddy Oscar Isaac is in it, and he does such a good job as the titular character. But I think you'd really like it. There's um, we talked about characters in Fargo and how good the Coens are at writing them, and this is like pretty damn close to Fargo level good in terms of their character, their characters that they wrote. So, but yeah, I watched I watched those two, and then I watched In the Heights. I know you love musicals, so. You can watch In the Heights on HBO. <laughs> um, Fellowship of the Ring. And then I watched The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It on HBO Max. Pretty good. And then I've been playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto 5 like we were talking about. But yeah, Cohen Brothers, man. They were uh, they were stuck on my mind after our Fargo <laughs> podcast, for sure. Sure. So it's interesting you brought up The Conjuring because as either yesterday or the day before, I was like, another Ethan Hawke movie? Because <laughs> I just keep seeing it. Obviously, Ethan Hawke is not in The Conjuring, but I just feel like I'm always seeing these Conjuring movies. And there's so this is now the third Conjuring movie. Then we also have, you got Annabelle, then you got Annabelle's with a Z, and then you got... You got Annabelle, the beginning. So there's three Annabelle movies, and then you got uh, fucking the Nun movie, uh, and then you got uh, that's just a lot of action. And I think the first Conjuring movie was like in 2013. So I mean, this this movie franchise has just sort of dominated the the 2010s, and uh, it's I feel like there's no signs of it slowing down, and I'm just gonna be stuck with it forever. And then our <laughs> friends over at the Horror Squad podcast did their episode on. The Conjuring Three. What is it? The Devil Made Me Do It. Or the something Devil like Made that? Me Do It. Yeah. yeah, and I, I literally just had this conversation with you, and then I see them post that they're doing this episode, and I'm just like, motherfucker! <laughs> I'm just, I just can't get away from this movie. <laughs> and so it is on my to do list. I understand that they'll be leaving uh, HBO Max. I think like uh, the July you know, July fourth yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So uh, I'll go ahead and watch it uh, just so I can be part of the conversation. Keep up with the Joneses, as there it were. You. But uh, I am not uh, I'm not excited about it. 
I'm not. <laughs> I'm not into it. It's I, good, I, man. I will say that I enjoyed the first one. Uh, I sat through the second one, and uh, I haven't watched any of the doll movies. I'm not into like puppets killing shit. I can never do it. I tried. You know, we talked about Charles Band movies for a while, mm-hmm. uh, like the Puppet Master type stuff. You know, I've never been a fan of Child's Play. I think the only one I've ever seen is the third one, and uh, <laughs> the best one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that's like the military, it's a military school, camp. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's not good. And then uh, that's that's pretty much it, man. I just I don't do puppet killing movies. Yeah, it's uh, I I haven't seen the the Curse of La Llorona, or I haven't it's seen my Sharona. I know I haven't seen the Nun either, but they are all on HBO Max, and I've seen all the Annabelle movies. They're 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 okay. Um, but I, I think it's for me. I'm a completionist, and so I like to get the lore of of things, and I love Easter eggs. So you can be like, oh, there it is. You know, insert Leonardo DiCaprio meme there, and. So I've watched like YouTube videos on breakdowns of, oh, yeah, you know, this is the timeline. And remember this from from the previous films in The, D- the Devil Made Me Do It. So I really enjoy that aspect of, of the Conjuring universe. And you're right. I mean, they reign supreme right now. It's when I think of new horror films that are coming out. I mean, they just they've done a good job. The, the, the Conjuring, the one thing I'll say is the best part about it are Ed and Lorraine Warren. And that's Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. I mean, they their relationship is is what makes the film so good, in my opinion. But otherwise, it's not. I mean, it's it's a solid film. It's it's nothing to write home about, though. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> really I, I know you love me. her. I know you love her so much, though. Oh yeah. She's she's great. Yeah. I um. What did I do? So I watched Hot Rod. I watched Starsky and Hutch because we were talking about that the other day. I, was, oh, yeah. I, brought, I brought up Todd Phillips <laughs> and, and then fuck man, I just had to watch Starsky and Hutch and it's so funny. And then I watched Psycho and son of a bitch. That's a movie that we should probably do at some point. It's so good. Psycho is amazing. The Hitchcock one or did you yeah. watch the Gus Van Sant? No, 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 no. I have seen that one. I was kind of fighting the movie theater. <laughs> so I was like, true story. Oh, man. Um, this this. I remember it was so weird. This lady just kept talking and talking and I turned around. She's like, she's like, do you, she's like, is there a problem? I'm like, yeah, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, it didn't go over well. And she's like, we're going to deal with this after the movie. I'm like, great. Can't wait. <laughs> and, uh, and we came to an agreement after the movie was over. She apologized for being obnoxious and I apologized for swearing at her. <laughs> and you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Jesus, that's four shooter. Um, huh. Then I started the office. Uh, Alex and I were plowing through that seasons one through three over the weekend. That's oh, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Is a, a couple lot. of well, naps thrown in there while it was still going. But season one is only like ten episodes, though. Six, six. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah that's easy. It's quick. And then, but I mean, the other two are long. That's true. They're like twenty-two <laughs> each. They go by yeah. pretty fast, though. They do. They do. It's like three every hour or so. And then I uh, started playing the Outer Worlds, uh, which I I had played last year, but then I stopped, and then I kind of forgot about it. And so, rather than pick up where I left off, I just started a whole new game. There you and go. I have since surpassed where I had left off. So cool. I'm on the on the course to beat that game. Good. I've heard good things about it. So I know, I know it's on Game Pass, so I will play it at some point. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, are you ready to talk about this week's movie? Heck yeah, always. 
All right. Heck you mean? <laughs> uh, so we're going to do Suicide Kings. And this movie is streaming on, what was it, on HBO Max? Yes, HBO and Max. I think it's only till June 30th, by the way. So uh, hopefully you can catch it in time uh, from when this episode goes live on the uh, your favorite podcast app. But time is running out. So be sure to check that out. Uh, directed by Peter O'Fallon, who you probably don't know. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> lots of TV. Still is he related today. to Jimmy Jimmy O'Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, there was, I think this was his first movie, or or a rumor of Angels might have been first. I don't remember anymore. But uh, he's only done two uh, motion picture shows. The rest is all TV. Uh, written by Josh McKinney, Gina Goldman, and Wayne Allen Rice, and is based on a short story, The Hostage, by Don Stanford. The ah. cast includes Christopher Walken, Dennis Leary, Henry Thomas, Sean Patrick Flannery, Johnny Galecki, Jay Moore, Jeremy Sisto, Frank Medrano, and Brad Garrett. It's quite uh, quite the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Uh, critical reception. I had to kind of dig a little bit for this one, but it is uh, not terribly impressive on the old Rotten Tomato meter there. It is uh, 34% <laughs> from the critics, 74% from the audience, which I always find fascinating. That tells me that uh, the critics can find themselves to be somewhat elitist, I think might be fair <laughs> yeah, to say. Yeah. When when so many more of the audience enjoys the movie over the critics, I think they might be overthinking it. Or maybe they just forgot to just enjoy a fucking movie every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean, we'll get into it. It's not, it's not a horrible movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it is in a post-Pulp Fiction era. And in the 90s, after the success of Pulp Fiction, so many movies tried to just replicate this formula of of bad guys uh, doing cool shit. And <laughs> I think that this movie falls in that category. Like you know? Face Off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man, I just watched a pitch meeting for Face Off the other yeah. day. It's pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Super easy, Bernie. Inconvenience. Oh, man. It, <laughs> tight, 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 tight. <laughs> it made me laugh. Pitch meetings are tight. They're so um, funny. Yeah, pretty good. So anyway, uh, reviews. Not uh, I'm struggling to find some good ones here. But Carlo Cavanga from AboutFilm.com says, This movie assembles an all-indie film of the 90s cliche. Uh, brainless criminals, a bad plan, lots of dialogue, and Christopher Walken. So that's really all you need to be a 90s movie. Brainless criminals, a bad plan, lots of dialogue, and Christopher Walken. Uh, let's see. Looking for a positive one. Okay, so Brian McKay from eFilmCritic.com says, A fairly average and predictable comedy mystery. It is raised a notch by the likes of Walken, Dennis Leary, and the supporting cast. It's about as nice as it gets. Um, so, we'll leave it at that. There was... Um, I thought I saw one before that I wanted to read, but I can't seem to find it anymore, so... We're just out of luck. It had to do with like predictability. Oh, here we go. I found it. So Philip Martin from Arkansas, the Arkansas Democratic Gazette says <laughs> it isn't that well written. And if you're accustomed to the genre, it might even seem predictable, which I feel like you might think it's predictable, but I can't see how you ever would have guessed it right unless you just uh, should have bought a lottery ticket that day. Yeah, serious. <laughs> but I mean, I think that 
as you're watching it, your mind starts to kind of try and piece things together. But I honestly, it's a shot in the dark if you're if you're correct. So um, the budget was five million dollars, uh, made about five hundred and fifty eight thousand on opening weekend, and it only grossed one point seven million dollars. So this movie was a bomb, to say the least. It's important to note that 1500 of those 5 million went to <laughs> Dennis Leary's boots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fish boots. Fish boots. Uh, cool. Well, here are, here's the fun facts trivia. With the exception of the Mickey Mantle speech, Dennis Leary improvised all of his dialogue. And that makes a whole lot of sense. I feel like Dennis Leary played Dennis Leary in this one. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> an, an angry 90s Dennis Leary. Yeah. Dennis Leary is Dennis Leary in the Dennis Leary story. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, several different endings were filmed for this movie. The one, the one scene in theaters is the one that tested the best. The others were included as special features on the DVD. This is true. And then finally, did you know this movie has actors in it? I did. (laughs) I made that one up. Yeah. Okay. So here is a synopsis for most people who probably have not seen this movie. And that includes me, even though I watched it last night. Charlie Barrett walks to his private table in a restaurant only to see two young men sitting at at his table, Avery and Max. Another young man who is friends with Avery and Max, Brett, joins them shortly after Charlie sits down and begins chatting with them. Charlie happens to know Avery's father and after an initial reluctance is willing to go with the boys for a a night on the town. That's my walking. I'm bad at it. Before meeting Charlie, they had previously planned to use chloroform to knock him out in in their car. The plan goes awry and Charlie fights back, almost wrecking the car uh, before they can finally put him under. When Charlie wakes up, he sees himself surrounded by the three men and a fourth friend, TK. It is revealed that Charlie is Carlo Carlo Bartolucci, a former mob figure. The boys explain that Avery's sister, Elise, has been kidnapped and the kidnappers are demanding a $2 million ransom for her release. Dollars? Unable to come up with the money on such short notice, they figured Charlie still has connections to get the money and set up an exchange. To ensure that Charlie knows how serious they are, Charlie has shown his cut-off finger, still wearing his signet ring, as the same was done to Elise. As incentive for his cooperation, they explain that they will do to him anything else done to Elise. Everything done to Elise. Charlie uh, flies into a rage and threatens to kill them, though he eventually agrees to help. As Charlie requests uh, continual alcoholic drinks and his blood does not properly clot, TK, a medical student, explains that Charlie's alcoholism may cause him to die of blood loss if he is not taken to a hospital. Charlie contacts his lawyer, who in turn contacts Lono, Charlie's bodyguard, asking him to track Charlie down. I think it's Lano. Lano. Damn it. I said it wrong. Lano goes on about... Lano goes about his own investigation, asking for, and in some cases, beating out information from people. However, he shows that he has a soft side, as one of the people he beats up is the father of Jennifer, the hostess at the restaurant that Charlie and the boys frequent. Meanwhile, Charlie seems to take perverse pleasure in playing mind games with his kidnappers. During the course of their th- of these conversations, Charlie unnerves the friends with stories of his early years as a gangster, especially concerning some former neighbors of his that he had killed, then feeding their remains to their Dobermans. Another story was how he got his signet ring. Meanwhile, Marty, Charlie's attorney, conducts his own investigation. He speaks to Lydia, a successful madam, whose life Charlie has had saved many years ago, from her former lover and pimp, period. <laughs> he wanted to kill her because she had spent money on herself that he felt belonged to him. Lydia gave Marty a list of contacts. 
As, as Lano searches, Charlie takes advantage of the boy's naivety. A fifth friend, Ira, shows up unexpectedly and demands an explanation. They are using his house under the cover story of a poker game. Ira is flustered by their carelessness in his parents' house and becomes even more worried when he realizes they have kidnapped a major figure in the mob. Charlie plays the friends against each other, slowly getting information out of them and using it to his advantage. After much cajoling and piercing information together, Charlie identifies Max, Elise's boyfriend, as an inside man. As his enraged friends plan to cut off his finger, Avery stops them, admits it was his plan, and says he recruited Max to help him. Avery made several unlucky bets, could not pay off his debts, and was approached by mobsters who had purchased his debt. They offered him a way out, become an inside man in his own sister's kidnapping. Lano eventually makes his way to Ira's house and has Charlie removed from his restraints, around the same time that the money is sent to the two thugs. Avery rushes to meet his sister at the appointed drop-off, but she does not appear. Charlie and Lano track down the two kidnappers who insist they never kidnapped Elise and the whole operation was a con. Charlie and Lano kill the thugs and it is revealed that Max and Elise set the whole thing up, splitting the ransom between them and the thugs. Charlie and Lano track Max and Elise to a boat off a tropic island where, although Charlie understands their reasons for conning him and agrees with Max on how special Elise is, he has Lano shoot them both dead. The screen dissolves to a rotoscope red and the film ends. Uh, one of the endings has him letting them go. Like he doesn't kill them. I thought he was going to do that. Honestly, and then everyone's but... like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so then they're like, all right, well, let's do it again. But this time kill once more with feeling. <laughs> so, all right. So last night was your first viewing of Suicide Kings. What were your first impressions? Were you vibing with the 90s style film or was it a tough sell for you? Um, yeah, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it, there were funny parts for sure. It definitely was a 90s vibe, but it was a um, yeah, it was a solid popcorn flick. I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it on HBO Max and not like in theaters or anything. <laughs> hey, but, easy. I saw it in theaters. Well, I mean, you saw a lot of movies in theaters, but I mean, they didn't have streaming services in 97 when this came out. But you know what I mean? It's it. it I, I might have seen it in theaters if it was like a random Tuesday and I had nothing to do. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't have anything horrible to say about it. There were some weird choices with the camera work and the filters looked real grainy for some reason. I don't know. There were just some interesting stuff. So, um, yeah, but I mean, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it for the most part. Cool. Yeah. So I think it was actually filmed and finished in 97, but I didn't get its theatrical release until April 19th of 1998, Uh, which I forgot to mention earlier, so I apologize for that. But I actually saw it the week after opening weekend. I saw it uh, the same night that I watched the big hit, uh, Friday Later. So I I fucking love the big hit. April 26th, yeah, which we (laughs) quote all the time. If you've ever heard us say on the show... These guys mean businesses. That's from that movie. These guys mean businesses. <laughs> yeah, Trace Busta Busta. <laughs> but yeah, I, I enjoyed it when I saw it in the theater. I remember really like and liking it. You know, I was 18 years old, so I was all about the the quirky movies at the time. Um, and then, you know, I, I purchased it on DVD when it came out, and I got to see all those different endings. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I forgot to YouTube them. I wanted a YouTube them just to remind myself because mm-hmm. uh, I watched it digitally on the HBO Max and uh, we're not quite there yet with like bonus <laughs> features, you know, like there's all this streaming content, but we don't really get access to those bonus features, which is kind of sad. 
Yeah, I do miss those. I know on Vudu, when you buy movies, you get all the additional content. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a little subcategory. But you're right. I, I I will have to actually after we're, we're done with this, I'll have to YouTube the endings because I do like the alternates. But I mean, if that's if it's only that one where he lets him go, I don't know if I need to see that necessarily. I, yeah, I think there's three endings. I don't remember what the other ones are. <laughs> Is but... it like Clue? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or maybe this happened. Yeah. Um, but communism's no. a red herring. <laughs> I think I think they chose the right ending uh, only because the whole movie were were led to believe that Charlie is this crazy criminal mob boss and it would seem out of character like right. even though he's trying to go straight and be a legitimate businessman uh, we've had this conversation a thousand times on this podcast that you are who you are mm-hmm. and you're probably not going to change and i think that that makes most sense for this character especially when they chop off his fucking fingers oh like, my god yeah you know, coming back from that <laughs> well and especially since you know and we'll get into it too but especially since they they gambled wrong like he was an innocent party in all this i mean if they would have approached him and said hey my sister's kidnapped can you help us find her but no they had to go the crazy route about it and and kidnap him and cut his finger off for no reason and just all this all this shit so i mean yeah i would want my my um pound of flesh there you go pound of flesh that's that's merchant of venice oh yeah i'm stupid no it's fine i only know that because (laughs) i had to read it in drama class i knew and that was it yeah. the the money the currency in that time is is ducats but all the kids in class kept reading ducats mm, ducats <laughs> i'm like i don't think that's how you say it. <laughs> he was in straw dogs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man the remake of that movie is streaming on something and every time i see it i'm always like he was in straw dog <laughs> <laughs> no me too so with, with uh cyclops it's got yeah. cyclops in it yeah, yeah, yeah. and blue crush her name is Kate yeah, Bosworth. What's her name? Kate Bosworth. Bosworth. That's right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so Christopher Walken is definitely the star of this film, and uh, he's arguably the best thing going for it. Uh, what did you think of his performance, and did you like his character, Charlie? Yeah, I loved him. I think, like you said, you know, he was trying to go straight, and I think that that was really apparent from the beginning. You didn't need to give a lot of exposition. It's just he's a man that could be feared, and and he is revered, I should say, and so even with the whole table situation, like you can kind of tell he was being a pussycat about it. He didn't want to have to get super involved, but he's like, Hey, you know, Marcus, get, get these guys out of here sort of thing. And then he really eased up when they're like, Oh, let's go for a night in the town. Part of me was like, Oh, he's going to, you know, I, I know that they're planning this, but he's going to have, he's going to be two steps ahead of him. And then for him to get kidnapped, I was like, Oh shit. So I think it was really nice to see the, uh, him kind of, tell them and this is one of my the tropes i like in films is when you have somebody who's like you guys you want to let me go because this is going to end poorly for you like you're you're all you you all just punch your ticket basically and you're all going to die and it reminded me of like the hateful eight like marcus warren how he just kind of knows everything before it happens sort of thing so christopher walken did such a fantastic job in this and he's played this role so many different times uh, you know, true romance. He was in this same thing with uh, even Joe Dirt. He's still, he kind of still played the same, but I like walking a lot. He's a, he's a good actor. Yeah, and he's great. I like it when he when they're playing cards and he's like, you know, I'm usually two steps ahead of everybody. Exactly. And Jay Moore's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're taped to a chair right now. He's like, I admit I'm, I'm out of practice. Out of practice. <laughs> yeah. 
he's even laughing about it. He's like, yeah, I fucked up on this one, but well, uh, you know, I'm gonna win. <laughs> and, and and the thing about it is, like, with him with him even controlling the situation, like I knew what he was doing, but it's still I was still terrified because I'm like, this guy is smart, and you can just tell. And these other rich boys were they thought they were smart, but I I just knew, you know, how he when he gave the speech about, you know, cops and your parents, they lie. He goes, but but the streets or word of mouth, you know, whatever that doesn't lie. Yeah, word on the street, word on the street can depend on. That's something you can depend on. It's I thought that was so interesting. And he just did a really good job of of creating that sense of of danger or unknown, you know, and Mm -hmm. I really I really liked his his character. Alright. So let's talk about the plan to get Elise back from the kidnappers. Like, how terrible is this plan? Like <laughs> how do these guys expect to get away with it? You know, they they all come from wealthy families and and Charlie even knows Avery's father. So how on earth do they think that when this is all over, that they're going to just, you know, move on with their lives? I mean, you have to have those bumbling idiots because that's the crux of the film. The, f- the movie wouldn't work if if they were all competent, you know, Italian job criminals. And uh, it, it it has to work because plans never go off without a hitch. And so um, they did not think this through. And Charlie called him out on all of that. He played the psychological game. W- and even when he says, you know, how he survived so long was because he could size up his opponents. Um these guys were, were were idiots. They were bumbling idiots. And I think from the get go, when TK they, they showed that flashback scene and TK is explaining it to them and they keep messing up and, you know, they have a blow up doll as Charlie. It's just like it's ridiculous. So I, I think that that was the crux of the film. And that's really kind of what drove the plot. OK, so. So I guess uh, my, my follow up was, does having a terrible plan to kidnap Charlie help or hurt this movie? So in your case, you think it, it helps. Oh, yeah. As, as opposed to them all being professionals and him trying to find a way to escape this way. He's more uh, eating them from the inside out as opposed to he, like he, he was in danger, but it's almost like he had control of the situation almost the entire time. Yeah. And that's what I really like is the psychological aspect. So I think it definitely helped the movie because Walken's performance. I mean, he just he Charlie plays Charlie's this guy that he knows what's going on at all times. And even if he is a little slow or a little out of practice, he's a guy that knows people. And and um, Lano obviously found him. And so I think it was nice to have the whole impending doom aspect of Lano trying to find Charlie. Uh, but Charlie just co- constantly being ahead of these kids and, you know, testing them. That's why he was getting stories and and any other professional would, would tell him to shut up or stop talking or, you know, tape his mouth shut. But, but he was, he just kept going and going and got these guys to basically spill their guts. They were, they were idiots. And, and while some of them, you know, they had, they had the right, like TK and, and Avery even had the right uh, mindset. They wanted to save Elise. They were all going about it incorrectly and, and poorly. And so, um, I, I definitely think it helped the movie. It it would be a, it would be a completely different film if they were all professionals, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But. Sure. I mean, I think the only real danger was that he was going to bleed to death mm-hmm. uh, because of the blood clotting. So they had to do something to raise the stakes because he would have gotten out otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought when when they were arguing um, after playing poker, uh, I thought he was going to take Brett's gun. Because Brett had his back to to Charlie, and so that's I thought he was going to take his gun, but uh, I was wrong. Yeah. 
All right, then. So hypothetically speaking, do you have any friends that you could see yourself getting mixed up in a crazy scheme like this? Um, <laughs> Not necessarily chopping off like, yeah. someone's finger or anything, but, you know, trying to like stepping out of your comfort zone or character to do something for somebody. I definitely have friends who are schemers who <laughs> it's like, like, uh, I won't use any names, but certain people who are like, what are you scheming? And like, even me too, to a certain extent. Um, I mean, I would never pull something like this off. I would never do this. But, you know, it's funny because I think that they are ones who could tell me something or like, we have to go somewhere and hurt some people, but you can't ask any questions. And I would say, whose car are we taking? So <laughs> <laughs> I almost watched that. On, on oh, the I love that movie. Oh so my God, I've seen this movie 30 goddamn times. It's incredible, though. It's so good. But, you know, basically, I think after high school, I had a, a solid group of friends that, well, even in high school too, but it carried over to after high school. We used to play like Halo together and then we used to all, all play poker. Some of them made some interesting choices and I definitely have seen situations that we've been in that were, we had little run-ins with the cops that weren't too hardcore, but some of them have gone on to do bigger and crazier things. Um, so I could see us, uh, you know, being 18 years old, 19 years old and something like this happening and then me being like, what the fuck? So, <laughs> yeah, I um, I had some friends at a certain point who who could I could look at doing this, you know, and it'd be a different setting because we don't come from money like these rich fuckers. But I don't know, I'd be like Farmer John needs we're going to get his chickens or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> what the we bar ran out of curly fries. Of course, a meth. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I get it. So there's tons of bickering with this group of friends. Uh, do you find yourself entertained by their arguments or were you more annoyed with their childish behavior? Um, I mean, I think you needed it because you needed to show that they were amateurs. You know, they they, they threw they threw the whites. They're fucking amateurs. So, yeah. um, yeah, I was They're entertained. Amateurs. <laughs> exactly. I was entertained. It, it, it helped with the uh, quote unquote twist at the end, too, because they were bumbling into idiots. Like as soon as TK told Ira, I was like, Ira's going to spill the beans to somebody. And you know it. You can't say, hey, promise me you'll not tell someone because then, you know, someone's going to go tell someone right away. So. Right, right. But it was very much like the hateful age or clue um, where there was a lot of bickering and a lot of good dialogue. And I think that kind of uh, throws you off a bit, too. So I was constantly watching, even though I did know the twist, I, I, I figured out the twist pretty early on in this one. I was still looking for signs um to see if i was wrong and i didn't really pick up on anything so yeah i i thought it was necessary for the film all right so you mentioned ira let's let's talk about him what do you, you think of ira he's you know he's supposed to be the comedy relief and builds a rapport with charlie uh were you picking up what he's putting down you ira you're the man <laughs> <That's what> <laughs> <he says. laughs> yeah he, he there wasn't much he could do. It's not like he could untie him. And he did suggest he's like, what the fuck? We have to let him go. But, you know, it's four against one. His friends aren't going to let him do that. And what are we going to do? Five asses. Four. Yeah. Four. four, four. That's that's fresh ice. I put fresh ice in there for you. Just know that. Yeah. I mean, shit. That's me, dude. That's what I would be doing. And so I'm glad he didn't die because I would be just as pissed off. Like when he starts throwing the vase at Avery, when Avery reveals it, I would be going ape shit. I'd go, you son of a bitch. Like you, you know, you basically put my life in jeopardy for this shit. And um, so I, I, I enjoyed him. I thought he was funny. Um, he, he'd be like me. I'd be like, oh shit, this is my parents' summer house. And I like that he was refilling the, the bottles with like water and such. Yeah. And, 
yeah it was funny and then like why'd you bring eggs he's like i, I was gonna make brownies <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, um, um when he says uh like you know you're the man ira i uh i always thought of russ hanneman in silicon valley where he's like this guy fucks <laughs> yeah this guy fucks that's brian from the office too yeah he saves pam by hitting that guy with the microphone, the yeah, boom mic. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> he should have yeah. said, here comes the boom. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed Ira. Um, he, he, he fit. He, he, he was good because in, in a film like this, you can't have all the same characters. And he definitely was the pariah of the group. Right. Yeah. Jay Moore was, was like the crazy uh, shooting from the hip guy. Yeah. yeah. And then you had, uh, Avery, who was just, you know, kind of along for the ride. He was scared the entire time. Yeah. Uh, TK was sort of the brains of the outfit. You know, he's the medical student. So you should listen to him. His dad's a doctor. <laughs> I like, know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's a junkie too, right? So remember, he's a, he's always injecting himself. Get your weird fuck junkie friend out of here. <laughs> so someone that is normally of sound mind. Uh, just happens to be a junkie. So at the same time, like you can't really take his word for anything because, you know, he's an addict. So I, I do think that there were a lot of of pitfalls with this group. I, th- I do think that they they fit the dynamic pretty well of a bunch of, of rich kids, uh, you know, that have always had everything and now all of a sudden have to do something for themselves. Like in um, uh, rest of development. Like how much is a banana? $10, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. that, that, that same concept. You know, they, they have no concept of, of money or real world problems because their parents have always been able to take care of them. And now that's, that's definitely not the case, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, I agree. So Iris house is really nice and comes with a lot of rules. Did your parents have any crazy rules for you growing up? Like, uh, you know, no shoes in the house or elbows off the table. Yeah, no wire hangers. No, um, <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah. So we we drank a lot of soda pop. We had a, a cooler outside of it, actually. My mom would just buy, like, when soda was cheap, it'd be two bucks a 12-pack, so it'd be five for 10. We'd go to the Albertsons, and we'd buy a bunch of soda, and she would put it in the cooler. So only three sodas a day, which is insane, because that's a lot of soda. <laughs> but yeah. only three a day. Uh, we had to take our shoes off in the house. So, you know, we had a big like mud room that you had to take them off. You couldn't walk through the house without them. You always had to finish your plate of food at dinner time because that was the only meal you were going to get. And that that's actually a really good one. And if and when I do have children, um, I want to instill that idea because so many people's kids that I know are just picky eaters and they'll eat whatever the fuck they want. And for me and even my friends, you know, they were brought up like, hey, it's dinner time. You're going to eat this or you're not going to get anything else. And so I think that that was good. Now, I was a picky eater, but I still tried to finish my plate as much as possible. Um, My parents always tried to at least cater to to us a bit for what we liked. So that was cool. When we got dial-up internet, uh, only 30 minutes of internet a day, unless it was homework, so personal time. But we weren't doing much homework online. We didn't have to go to the internet for homework, really. So I would make things up, and I would just look at porn. But... Yeah, so that was fun. Um, And then my mom, she would rearrange the furniture about every month because my mom's really anal and she cleans like crazy. So like the couch and then the love seat would be in one corner and then the recliner would be in another. And, you know, I I wake up the next day, everything's moved around and vacuumed and cleaned. I'm just like, what the hell is going on? And uh, actually, I'm an idiot because when I was a kid, I, I took some nudie magazines from my dad's work. And I brought them home and I hid them under a chair that we had in the corner 
but I didn't realize what time of the month it was. And my mom moved the furniture the very next day and they found them and I got in trouble. So I blamed it on my dad's coworker. We talked about Fargo digging yourself into a hole. So I blamed it on my dad's coworker and my mom was like, okay, well that's just crazy. He's, uh, I don't like that. Sure as shit. He came over that night and they called me into the kitchen and they're like, why are you telling people that that Sean, you know, gave you these magazines? And I was like, fuck, <laughs> so wow, I got I got caught and I was an idiot. It was the worst hiding spot you could have been when you when you have a parent that likes to clean like crazy. It was the worst spot to hide my shit. So <laughs> <laughs> I was a dumbass. Um, and this wasn't in the house. But one thing my mom used to do that I thought was a little uh, obsessive or not obsessive, but just crazy OCD. Um, she got like a new minivan because that's what parents did. And she got a new minivan and in the van, you know, you have your, your stock floor mats, like the kind of clothy weird ones. And then she bought plastic aftermarket floor mats for those. And then she put towels over those floor mats. So believe you me, that floor mat was super clean because <laughs> if you ever dragged any mud into her car, it'd be hell to pay. So I thought that was interesting, but that kind of carried over to me a little bit. I'm not, like that necessarily in, in, with my stuff, but I do like to take care of things in my own house. So they're good habits to, to have, but I mean, I don't, I don't have a vacation house that like Ira does that I can tell people like, Hey, coasters, please. So <laughs> yeah. What about you? Did you have anything like that? I don't think so. I don't remember any rules. We were like fucking Lord of the flies. <laughs> so if you want to talk, you had to hold on to the conch shell. That's pretty much all I remember. You guys were playing with swords left and right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't remember any like like house rules. Uh, you know, there was nothing like no phone after eight or anything like that. Um, I just I don't really. I'll have to ask my parents because I I don't really remember any rules to be honest with you. And we wore our shoes everywhere. I mean, you didn't have to, but I mean, you weren't going to get scolded if your shoes were on in the living room or anything like that. Damn. And I remember we even got new carpet in nineteen ninety five. Our whole house smelled like fucking paint and new carpet. <laughs> and when you get new carpet, your doors don't close all the way because it's like it's raised so high, you know? It's yeah. Like a pain, you got to try and close the door and just not happening. <laughs> uh, I remember that. But no, I don't I don't remember any like rules per se. Rules. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I must have been lucky. Or at least I never broke any. So I never. It's not sticking with me. But I mean, as someone that pretty much remembers everything i'm I'm surprised i don't really remember any rules maybe it were so horrible i blocked it out of my mind <laughs> there you go we'll go with that yeah so let's talk about lano you know this this is this is probably a fun role for dennis leary yeah he's he's had some interesting scenes in it uh there's like the busket scene and the domestic <laughs> abuse uh that was a pretty good one where he got to beat the shit out of uh jennifer's dad uh, were you a fan of Lano, his fish boots and his swagger? Yeah, um, I think, like I said before, you know, Dennis Leary is Dennis Leary in the Dennis Leary story. So I, that's how I imagine he is just that tough New Yorker. I don't think I've ever seen him play a role when he hasn't been like that. I mean, one really memorable movie and I'd be crazy. I, I wonder if you've actually seen this, but it's called Two If by Sea. And it's oh, with yeah. him and Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And I remember watching it on like HBO a long time ago when I was a kid. That was my first um, interactions with Dennis Leary as as an actor. And I really um, enjoyed him. I never watched Rescue Me or any of that other stuff. But uh, 
yeah, he did. He did a really good job. Um, Lana was cool. And, and he definitely was the type of guy. Like I love when he beat the shit out of that guy and he's like graphite piece of shit. He goes, I need to start using steel again. Yeah. <laughs> Take some strokes off my game and whatever he says. But I thought that that was funny. And, you know, he definitely seemed like a guy who, who could get answers and, and, and your right hand man. And he definitely seemed like a guy that would be paid well under Charlie. So I always like a character like that. Yeah. And he was prepared to do anything for Charlie, which I really liked. Yeah. 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 He wasn't kind of like, well, fuck him. He was like, nope, I got to get the boss because yeah. I mean, I think that says a lot too that, you know, even, even though Charlie's a mobster, I'm sure he's taking care of Lano pretty goddamn well. So, uh, you know, getting $1,500 fish boots, stingray boots. So yeah, <laughs> yeah he was really in love with his shoes. Oh my God. That was funny. That's yeah. Funny. Don't talk to me about footwear ever again. I mean, it sucks. <laughs> Where'd you get yours? $86 from Payless. <laughs> Yeah, my guy, he had, to, he had to go out and get a boat. He had to go into water and kill a fucking stingray. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, anyway. All right, so let's go back to Charlie and the head games. You know, we he learns pretty quickly that this kidnapping had an inside player. And and the movie played out like, um, you know, uh, what we knew was going to happen. But I have to admit, like, I chose incorrectly. Like, I was convinced that it was... Um, you know, like uh, I, I went back and forth between um, uh, Sean Patrick Flannery and even like Brett to a degree, you know, like a Jay Moore's character. I was like, fuck, I don't know what's going on with this guy when I was first watching it because he was just so angry all the time. Um, and, you know, so I just thought I thought that the twist was kind of clever and it helped me enjoy this movie when it was over. What about you? Did you choose wisely or were you duped? No, I choose wisely. I, I knew Avery had some kind of uh, part in it because it just seemed to. It seemed too perfect. Um, he he definitely seemed very nervous the entire time. And I was like, no, something's going to happen. And he's going to say, oh, you know, I had something to do with it. But Max kind of threw me uh, for aloof a little bit. Um, but it made more sense as I kind of saw bits and pieces of it unfold. And so I more and more was like, OK, I think Max maybe had something to do with it. So, I mean, I kind of guessed it from from Wait, the so you. So you guessed that Avery did it? So I knew that Avery. But that's had, just it. If you thought that Avery did it, then you're wrong because he he didn't. <laughs> well, I guess he I, thinks I guess, that he did. Right. I, I guess the final twist. No, I didn't see the final twist. Yeah, but, that's but, what I mean. Like but I was saying, for, oh yeah, no, I didn't see the final twist. I'm saying the um, who 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 was the rat? Who was the mole? Basically, I was like, I feel like it's Avery, um, and I kind of had a feeling that Max had a part in it. And then I started thinking Brett may- maybe had a part in it too. But um, as uh, Charlie talked to Max, I was like, wait, these are all these stories are all too perfect. So, um, you know, especially when he gives all the directions in Uptown or wherever the hell he was, right? So, yeah, no, totally. I mean, so like he, the whole thing is. Uh, you know, we think that 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 Christopher Watkins figured it out, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're, we're all wrong, which I thought was pretty nuts. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was out. interesting. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. I mean, we could totally as as it's unfolding, you're like, oh man, this is all coming together. That's crazy. And then it's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's not over. There's more. Oh my gosh! And I was like, what? And they were yeah. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is one of those films where it's pretty easy to root for the bad guy. Charlie has done some pretty horrible things during his criminal career, uh, but we can't help but be sympathetic to his dilemma. And, um, you know, I would I wouldn't have been upset if uh, all these punks were just sort of murdered by the end of this movie. <laughs> um, they all kind of got on my gut bang. And, um, you know, is this a good thing? I mean, 
are, are they just trying to get Elise back and in their minds what they're doing is okay? Or, or were we rooting for Charlie? Um, or did you did you want the gang to be successful and secure Elise's safe return? Because I, I really didn't care. Like I, I didn't want anything bad to happen to Charlie, but I didn't care if anything horrible happened to the gang. I honestly didn't think the kidnapping of Elise was a real thing. Uh, I, I, she it kidnapped seemed, herself. <laughs> I, yeah, it, se- it seemed like it was too... I, I want a big Montana. It seemed like it was too perfect. And so I just thought they were trying to extort him for money. And so I was definitely rooting for Charlie. But like I said, I mean, you know, and you said too, he was trying to go straight. He didn't He didn't give off a vibe of, of the, a murderer. It, he just had this reputation that preceded himself. And he didn't deserve to get kidnapped and finger cut despite his past. And I know that Jay Moore was talking about it. You know, this guy's a rat. He's done all these crazy things. And it's like, that doesn't matter, man. That doesn't give you the right to kidnap somebody and cut their finger off and hold them for ransom. Like it, that's which is bullshit. So I was definitely rooting for Charlie. Uh, and, and a lot of that goes into Walken's performance, I think. But yeah, they, you know, they, I was happy that she was okay ultimately to get killed at the end. But, you know, I was happy she wasn't dead by those, uh, the fat guy. And then, and then everybody loves Raymond's brother or whatever his name is. Brad Garrett. Yeah. He's great. He's and they're fun. like the whole time that they're bickering with each other. Like you think that there's a woman in the other room though, right? Mm-hmm. Well, not just a cat. Like, I mean, yeah. like, have you fed her yet. Uh, yeah. And you, know, you left her alone, you know, yeah. stuff like that. They didn't really, I mean, I, I caught on to something though. I'm like, why aren't they showing her? So that was, you know, my, my spider senses were, ting- were tingling. So, I mean, I think as it went on, I got kind of conflicted. But I think from the get-go when they said, you know, my sister's been kidnapped and it was a $2 million ransom, I was like, they're just trying to extort him for $2 million. So then as it kind of went on and I saw more and more, like when Max told his story about her getting kidnapped, I'm like, that's way too perfect. They drove to the middle of nowhere and this van just pulls up and, and he barely puts up a fight and is knocked out. I thought that was, I was like, this is definitely fake. Um, so, I mean, maybe they could have sold that a little bit better, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, when he's telling the story, when Max is telling the story, the, the whoever's listening isn't treated to, you know, actors in a car and then getting pulled out of the car sure. and beat up. Sure, so, I sure, mean, sure. When he's telling his story to the police, that might make a little bit more sense. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. All right. That's all good. So uh, I feel like this this is a product of the 90s where we just have a bunch of bad people on screen and we don't really care who makes it. And, you know, the filmmaker has to try and find a way to be extra creative to keep our interest. And, you know, this can be done with dynamic camera shots or nonlinear storytelling uh, and plot twists. And I think that this filmmaker uh, exploited all of those. Uh, what is his nice name again? O- Jimmy O'Fallon. O'Fallon, yeah. <laughs> um, so does this does the Suicide Kings pull it off, or is this just a mediocre film at best? Um, I mean, you know, I I, I enjoyed it, um, but there's been so many other films that have been done like this, though. Were they that way in 1998, though? Yeah. So, I mean, okay, well, here are a few things. I mean, you've got 23 years. Yeah. So, so okay, very bad things. The Usual Suspects, uh, like pretty much any Guy Ritchie film, but like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I'm pretty sure that was the 90s. True Romance, Copland, uh, The Big Hit, Reservoir Dogs. All those kind of had the same vibe. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I would argue that those are 
better films. But this still kind of goes along that same genre. The big hit is <laughs> I fucking love the big hit. And it, but yeah, it's, it's been pretty, quite some it's pretty, it's pretty terrible, bad. Though. It's pretty yeah. bad, sure. I I like Elliot Gould in it though. But um yeah, you know, it's it's been a while since I've seen the big hit, but it goes in that same kind of, you know, that that mold, right. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's just a bunch of bad guys doing bad guy shit. Yeah. So and they usually I, all die. <laughs> I know. All those movies that you mentioned, everybody fucking dies in them. I know. Movies, <laughs> I know, right? Well, not uh not Lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, though. Well, well I mean a lot, a lot of people, by a lot of people yeah. die. Yeah. They happen to die. make it, but they, there's a lot of innocent people, we'll call them innocent, like people just caught up in a victim of as a victim of circumstance <laughs> get murdered in that movie. And uh Christian Slater's in two of those. So he is. But yeah, He's in chubby rain. Yeah, exactly. I think it was hard rain. <laughs> yes, he is in hard rain, not chubby rain. Um, but yeah, very bad things. They they all have horrible endings by the time it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. True Romance, pretty much everyone dies in that movie, especially yeah. the final scene. And then Reservoir Dogs, another one. Everyone dies. Um, there's a, a Usual Suspects. Almost everyone dies. Almost crazy twist though at the end yeah and again that's that's another 90s thing though right yeah so, i mean exactly it's all it's all dynamic camera shots the non-linear storytelling and plot twists yeah and and i think you're right too it's the post pulp fiction thing and tarantino did he kind of set the tone for this with reservoir dogs but it didn't really pick up steam until pulp fiction because that non-linear storytelling is is what really can confuse you and you're like wait wait, wait what is this because then you, you are the detective and you're trying to put this together i mean i had my scorecard at home and i'm like wait hang on a second drawing my venn diagrams and whatnot so yeah no it's it's good i just hate it when uh, a camera shot cheatens what you should see you know what do you mean well like um uh like usual suspects is a perfect example at the beginning when keaton is dying and he's on the boat and he's got the cigarette and then that the the beginning of the movie is the end of the story right Mm -hmm. so uh we don't see verbal but then we're led to believe that he's hiding behind this like coil of rope kind of thing you know like the camera keeps kind of zooming in like there's someone that's hiding behind there and then suddenly verbal's arrested Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so yeah we were led to believe that he witnessed keaton get killed instead of him actually killing keaton right makes sense yeah like purposely showing you it's like oh this is the MacGuffin, or yeah. you know it, yeah this is a red herring i should say so, so i, mean, I that's don't, what, I don't that's like what that led us to believe that he witnessed it as opposed to him actually killing it so it's like snapping your fingers and you're saying look over here look over here look over yeah. here <laughs> yeah, i'm like what the hell am i supposed to be I'm, what am i looking at right now there's just a pile of garbage I'm like i don't understand i don't see a human being but that's what he's trying to tell me so that's the kind uh, yeah. of shit that that makes me man. I agree. I don't want to be handheld during these types of movies. And I think you're right. The 90s definitely did this. They had to hold our hands quite a bit. But as we got on, you know, directors like Ryan Johnson and M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong and Tarantino, they, they, they didn't hold our hands. They were like, you can figure it out for yourself. And we were yeah. like, fuck. And if yeah. you can't figure it out, then you're treated to quite <laughs> the amazing ending. Yeah. And then go to YouTube and break it all down. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, podcasts weren't a thing where people got to talk about. It. No way, man. So, no way. All right. So, what would have made this movie better? Um, like in my opinion, yeah. Um, I uh, time. I know that that's not. I mean, I know you're not going to give it. I know you're not going to give it an A plus. 
No, not so, at all. So, so what would make this movie better for you? I think time, and I know that that's not fair because th- I think the mar- the market was just so saturated with films like these. Like I just listed, you know, seven of them in the '90s. So I think I enjoyed the story. Um, I just kind of wish that maybe the twist was a little different. It seemed like they kept kind of going in, in different routes with it. But uh, if, if someone like a Steven Soderbergh or Guy Ritchie or Ryan Johnson, like I was saying, I know that he really wasn't big in the 90s at all. But uh, I mean, M. Night Shyamalan was just scratching that surface. He's almost there. And then even like a Tarantino, if someone like that directed it, I think that it would have been substantially better. Um, I think that there were some interesting choices with the dialogue and but this, doesn't that fall on the writer the and not the director? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it falls on, on, on the writer, but I mean, even like some of the blocking and some of just the, the, the choices that they made were a little interesting, but um, I mean, no, it's, it's not a bad movie by any stretch. I like, I, I enjoyed my time watching it. I'm glad I watched it. Um, it's just one that I'm like, you know, maybe a couple of years from now, I'm like, Oh yeah, we should watch suicide Kings. Like it's, it's a, it's a good movie that you can kind of talk to, or talk while you're watching because you don't have to pay super close attention to it. But that's just how my brain works at least. Mm-hmm. All right. That's fair. Yeah. But uh, that's probably how I would make it better. Just maybe a different director kind of <laughs> jazz it up a little bit <laughs> instead of Jimmy O'Fallon or whatever his name is. Right. So, um, and then maybe Peter, Peter, pistol, pistol Pete, pistol O'Fallon. Pete. Um, Lano. I wanted to see him rule ass more because his whole, he, he did an awesome job beating people up and being scary and stuff, but I wanted to see him come in and it, it was more of a comical scene when he intercepts the guys and he kind of is just like, boss, let me kill these kids. I wanted something a little more sinister from him. Right. Like maybe if he would have shot one immediately when he first got there. Yep. And to, to uh, just kind of show that he's serious and that yep. this is this is over. This isn't a game anymore. Yep. And, and I actually kind of wanted Avery to shoot Max. Um, because I didn't appreciate how it just then cut to them all walking out together. And I'm like, what? Like there was no real tension. So I wanted Avery to shoot Max and then Lano shoot Avery. Why would a- why would he shoot Max? Because remember when Avery was holding the gun t- to Max, when Max is like, this is over, we're going to let him go. And he was trying to cut Charlie loose. Avery's like, we're not, we're not letting him go and held the gun up to Max. Got he, it. Yeah. So I wanted some sort of shootout, uh, you know, i.e. the hateful eight style where it just gets crazy. And then the only surviving people are like Charlie and Ira and they're both tied up or something. <laughs> so I thought that would have been kind of a interesting ending. And then you still could have done the whole, she got away with it, double cross sort of thing where she's walking to a boat with the money or something, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think that that could have been a better film in my opinion, instead of the weird fade of showing Max and Elise getting, they didn't show them getting killed. It went to this weird kind of retroscope. Scratchy. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. It was, I wanted more of an oceans 11 ending where they take off the masks and Charlie's in on it. And so is Lana or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. What about you? Do you think, do you have anything else for that? Like how it could be better? Uh, no, I mean, I just wish that Lana would have, clean house <laughs> yeah because uh, i mean you know he's in the car a lot with with his partner mm-hmm. and i was definitely getting even when i saw it in theater so many years ago i definitely picking up like pulp fiction vibes you know yeah, like yeah. you know jules and vincent in the car together having dumb arguments uh <laughs> just moving it along you know they're, they're they're arguing about shit that doesn't matter to anybody and um 
and I get it. It's it's fun, but I mean, I couldn't help but make that comparison because at the mm-hmm. time, Pulp Fiction was probably my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get it. It's it's striking while the iron's hot and everyone likes this. It's an Academy Award winning movie. Let's try and do something similar. And I and, and as much as I like to say it's not fair to compare movies, this is one of those ones where I just feel like they tried so hard to make a, a Pulp Fiction-y clone that it it hurt them in some in some ways. I mean, I still love the movie and enjoy it. I mean, I own it for crying out loud. Um, but I do uh, fault it for that. Instead of being its own thing, I felt like it was trying to to copy something that they didn't need to. It could have been their own. Pol- it could instead of being a Pulp Fiction clone, they could have been fucking Suicide Kings. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I agree with you. I I think that is definitely a product of the '90s, and there are some things they could have worked on. But all in all, I am glad that I watched it, and it is uh, just one of those movies that you know, for Christopher Walken alone and Lano Dennis Leary, I think it, it works pretty goddamn well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, it is streaming on HBO Max, but it ends at the end of the month, so definitely uh, watch it as soon as you get a chance because. This is one of those ones I have no idea when you'll be able to see it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I honestly didn't think I was ever going to see it again, and I own it. But uh, it was when I saw it pop up, like, oh, my God, let's do Suicide Kings. <laughs> yep. You're going to need your ointment there. Yeah. Your Suicide Kings ointment. <laughs> why is it called? Why do you think it's called Suicide Kings? By well, the way? when they play poker, uh, Ira names off all the wilds, and one of the wilds is Suicide Kings. Oh, there we go. There we he's go. Like, he's like aces, deuces, uh one-eyed jacks and suicide kings are wild <laughs> like, all right it's like the whole deck like, my <laughs> I, game my rules <laughs> i thought it was called suicide kings because these guys were just doomed from the beginning because they were in over their heads and by kidnapping him they basically were committing suicide sure that, so that that works that's, that's how i thought of it because i'm like you fucking guys like you're dead and you don't even know it i love right. when bad guys say that like you're dead and you don't even know it because mm-hmm. then when it comes to pay off it's like you shouldn't have played with fire, man. You get burned. So, yeah, you play with matches and you get the horns. Sure, that's how it. That's how it works. <laughs> Make like uh, a tree and get yeah. out of here. So, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, they are they are dead and they don't even know it. Yeah. So, all right then. Uh, what letter grade do you give this movie? Um. So yeah, I'm gonna say this is probably a B minus for me. Um. It's not, there are some interesting choices. Uh, there's some weird pacing, some weird dialogue, but all in all, you know, it's it's a solid film. Um, I wish I saw it when I was younger because maybe it would have climbed higher for me. But yeah, this is a B minus for me. I was not upset by watching it by any stretch. Um, it might be a little bit before I watch it again, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I'd probably give it a B because uh, I did see it <laughs> when I was younger and I did enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, I made everyone that wanted I, everyone that was available. I would put it on the TV for them. I, I made my sister watch it. I made my dad watch it. All my friends in college watch it. So it's just one of those movies where I was like, hey, check this out. This is fun. And uh, I like that there's there's a mystery. And when you think you get the answer, uh, you're still incorrect. I think that that makes it fun. So, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a I B. agree. B for boy. Take us yeah. out. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to the DBC Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBC. Wait, at DB Crazy Podcast. Fuck. At DB Crazy Pod, <laughs> at Edgy Armo, and at Zach Dale 60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. 
Tell us how much you love Christopher Walken there. See, he carried a watch up his ass for seven years. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin, and the Escape Pod podcast where they discuss Star Trek The Next Generation, or Star Trek TNG for all you fellow nerds. As well as the Pixelated podcast, they revived it, with Stephen K. Janes and Justin as well on that one. It's excellent. They talk video games. They tell me how amazing GTA 5 is 10 years later. So, Just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.